Good evening, everyone. <laughs> My friends, I looked at that first reading about the grumbling people and about Moses saying, oh, they will stone me, Lord, uh, if you don't do something, which is kind of a funny story, too, but so is our gospel reading. There's humor, I find, in the conversation, but it's a, an incredible conversation uh, that's going on. My friends, in this past week, it's been very busy at the parish uh, for many reasons, and uh, made me think uh, how life is sometimes. Uh, things can be good, and other times it gets very strange and uh, odd, and certainly we can say complicated at times. In this, each one of us then probably become immersed in it all. Um, in all that, though, trying to do our best to guard ourselves in such times as much as one can from the challenges and setbacks, uh, uh, hurts, and uh, through it all, we hope for the best. Uh, we hope for happiness or at least some peace of mind in such times. My friends, when I look at this uh, and I look at this reading from John, I suspect this is the backdrop of the woman in the gospel, Count Red. We are told of a woman uh, that has several strikes against her in her time. It's not just that she is a Samaritan, which if you don't know, means she is a, well, it's not a nice way of putting it, she's a half-breed. She's half-Jewish, and she's a mixed-raced person, and she belongs to a people who are despised by the Jews of Israel. And we were told she has had five husbands, and the man whom she is presently with living is not her husband. She is shacking up with him. The women of her town despise her, likely because of the situation she has found herself in, or perhaps they see her as a woman of loose morals, not to be trusted around their family members, probably in particular to their husbands. But my friends, the woman is certainly no stranger than to the painful side of life. In her society, a woman could not divorce a man, so she did not divorce these men. It's the other way around. The men divorced her. And my friends, uh, I want to point out that in Jesus' time, uh, men were able to divorce their wives uh, for, well, to be perfectly honest, stupid reasons. Because they got old, because they got overweight, because they were terrible cooks. Uh, these were all valid reasons back then. In this, then, she must have been dismissed by her husbands on five occasions. Five times she experienced the bitterness of rejection and subsequent exposure to ridicule and judgment and mockery of self-righteous people in her town. Now, uh, her current situation is her own fault, that she's living with someone she's not supposed to be. <laughs> but um, certainly uh, we can see that she is familiar with loneliness and unhappiness and isolation. And I surmise religion was not equal to her at that stage in life. And that is not to say that she is a wicked person or that she was ignorant of religious things. It's just the reality she found herself in. And then we hear one day she came on her usual routine to journey to the well to draw water and she is alone, and she is at an uncustomary hour. 
And she goes at that time because the women don't want anything to do with her. And likely she is also embarrassed because of the way the life is for her now. So she goes alone. She encounters a stranger, a Jewish man who speaks to her with dignity, breaking all the social barriers and customs of his time. He seemingly speaks to her about something very ordinary as they're sitting at a well, water. However, for hundreds of years, the peoples of the Old Testament had recognized in flowing waters those words, a very powerful symbol of God's living presence, as we heard in that first reading. However, the prophet Joel had spoken of a day to come when God would pour out his spirit, pour like water, on all the people. And here they are at a well, a cistern, actually. Um, and in this is what we understand is still water. Uh, in Europe, they use that term. When I was at a restaurant, they said, would you like stir still water? Would you like it bubbly? <laughs> and the first thing I thought of was, oh, living water? Yeah, you don't have it in a bottle. <laughs> but no, I think but I look at it, sorry, I'm digressing. But even the, the still water of this cistern filled uh, from the depths of the earth was a symbol of a mysterious presence of God. And here sets the stage for what is about to happen to this woman. Jesus, who we know as the Messiah, is about to take the woman from the natural to the supernatural. As the conversation goes, Jesus, in a very disarming manner, asks her for something. Water. He's found something in common with her. Remember, they, they, they're, the two races hate each other, but he finds a commonality. Water. Cold water on a hot day. A lesson for us to learn about finding the common element when we deal with others who we do not like. Uh, others of different faiths, perhaps maybe uh, remembering that through such commonality, maybe we can come to a place of unity, at least for a short time. The woman says to Jesus, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, an unfamiliar woman, for a drink? Jesus, in his response, casts aside all the long time prejudices and hostilities of his people, the Jewish people. He confronts her um, in a conversation about her sin, but in a way that does not uh, condemn. Because my friend says he's offering a gift, and the gift that he wishes to give her requires contrition and conversion. And, uh, of course, a conversation about one's own failings and sins, often which causes pain, is a tough conversation to have. So she attempts to change the subject, as we probably would too. She, someone tells you, hey, what you're doing right now is not so good. And she says, hey, <laughs> how about that place where we're going to worship together? <laughs> she changes the subject. But Jesus firmly but gently does not allow it to happen. 
He tells the woman who he really is and offers her the long-anticipated and hoped-for living waters of God's very spirit. She doesn't understand, but eventually she does come to understand that Jesus is speaking not about natural water, but about the supernatural waters of faith. We are told she leaves her water gel, her jar behind. This is a symbol of her change in that she no longer wants the natural thing. She no longer wants the natural pleasures of the world. She'd rather have what Jesus is offering. She hurries back to the town to tell the people, mostly the men, because you know the women. <laughs> they didn't want anything to do with her. So she tells the men. What does she tell them? The good news of Jesus, of Nazareth. The men follow this woman, and I have a picture of that. <laughs> the wives are probably furious that the men are following this woman, that woman. Um, and they're going to go see Jesus. They initially are curious because of the woman's testimony. And when they arrive, uh, I'm going to leave out that whole conversation with the apostles, because <laughs> that's a whole homily right there. Um, but they come to Jesus, and they beg him to stay longer with them. And he does. He, for two more days, we're told. They were very specific. For two days. And they come to believe because they saw and heard for themselves this man speak, Jesus. So, my friends, today we journey to a well also. The wellspring of salvation. This holy place of many sacraments. Like the Samaritan woman, we also bring all the everythings with us, all of our struggles, all of our joys, all of our hopes. We bring the reality that uh, we, at times, search in the places we should not be searching. We bring our mistakes and ever, whatever not. All these things, just as that woman did that day. And the Lord sees all of our everythings. You cannot hide anything from him. He tells us who he is. He is offering us the living and renewing waters of his spirit, his graces, the sacramental life that he left uh, for uh, his church and his people. My question is, will you invite him to stay with you? As the villagers did that day. Will you ask him to stay with you in your heart? that you will come to know him and experience the joy of living faith, the living water that he spoke of. And as we said in, in, the, in the scripture said, many, not all, came to believe. So I suspect some in that town prefer that Jesus go away quickly. Mm, probably because they did not want to change. And I pray that no one in, sitting in these pews this evening would hold such sediment. So my friends, uh, the, Jesus moved directly into that town of Samaria. Uh, all the other Jews would have avoided it. But he didn't. He deliberately went there. So the question is, why? Why did he go there? 
The scriptures read tells us why. They were ready. They were ripe for the harvest. They were ready to hear. Jesus kind of just kind of matter of factly says, you worship what you do not understand, but we Jews understand. And he uses the words, if you knew, if you knew who was talking to you, they were ready. They were ready. They were ready. The harvest was ready there. So much so that for the very first time, the foremost title that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone, no one else can have this. We are told that the townspeople said he is the savior of the world. They were ready. I pray we are. My friends, uh, let us take that lesson from Jesus in the gospel about being careful how we speak to others, to have charity of heart even with those we disagree with, and be careful not to condemn, to point out perhaps uh, the failing but to bring them to that place of peace and joy that they may go and uh, have happiness and uh, speak of the Lord Jesus. And all of you need to do that. Go and speak of the Lord Jesus, just as the Samaritan woman did. Amen?